Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burntorangenation.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week. And I want to remind you before we jump in, if you like what we do, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton with visibility. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, somebody you know loves, Texas Longhorn Sports. Like I said before, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week. And making his triumphant return, a man who's been in the game for years and made him an animal, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Hey, man, I am... Okay. Uh, they say uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but that doesn't necessarily uh, apply to gastrointestinal bugs. But, uh, you know, I'm here in these Houston streets literally just trying to survive. So uh, happy to be on the podcast and, and feeling temporarily all right. Hey, above ground is a good day. So we've got uh, some basketball, a lot of basketball to talk about. And then we have uh, a special guest. You may remember him from a week ago coming on to talk a little recruiting and Texas football. And then obviously we'll close it out with some bang the drum. So let's just get started. The biggest probably news of the last couple of months, we'll say from, from Texas, uh, they were on the bubble. Were they in? Were they not in? Did they get enough wins in the Big 12 tournament? Uh, so Texas was a, Kyle's doing the weird shoulder shrug. I love it. So they were selected to play in the NCAA tournament, a number 10 seed. They're going to open up on Friday against Nevada. So Texas apparently did enough, even though the commentators in the Big 12 tournament maybe did not think they did enough, but Texas made it in uh, regardless. So Kyle, what do you know about the Wolf Pack and, and how does Texas match up in, I guess, what is the second round of the NCAA tournament? First round bye, baby. And let me just say, as in the words of Billy Bob from uh, Varsity Blues, a 10, a 10. Um, we, uh, <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, leave that in. We are a, a 10 seed playing, uh, of course, a 7 seed in Nevada. Um, Nevada is not a team to be trifled with. Um I, I, this is probably as good of a matchup as Texas could have hoped for. You know, if they would have closed out a few games during the season, they could have controlled a little bit more of their destiny. We've talked about that. Listen to our archive. Um, but uh, they got in. That's the big thing. Um, good news or bad news first, Gerald? Uh, let's let's go. Let's go. Good news. Good news. Nevada plays <laughs> really bad defense. I, I don't even have an analogy. Um, just. Awful, awful, awful defense. Um, they they basically like stand. They have five guys who cherry pick on the other end of, of the court, just trying to play offense. Um, they're a bit like like me in NCAA video games. Um, they <laughs> they they only want the offense. Um, so that's the bad news. Is or excuse me, that's the good news. Is that they play zero defense and Texas, which has had a bit of a um, struggle at times this season, putting up points on the offensive end, should um, be able to get a little bit of theirs. Um, uh, against a team that's not necessarily hyper engaged on that end. But again, we've seen in the past teams that, you know, just like to score the ball and didn't really care um, much about uh, getting back on the other end, locking down a little bit when you get in the tournament. So that has to scare you that um, a team that has some length, especially on the, uh, on the perimeter, they have some, uh, some guys with some, some size and some length. They're actually not huge on the interior, but they have some length on the perimeter where uh, could give a little bit of fits. And, um, Texas offense needs to take advantage of this and maybe get going, get the momentum that they need if they can get a win here to carry in um, to the next matchup. And we can talk a little bit about that. But uh, that is the 
that is the good news. Um, the bad news is that um, while Texas has a very, very good defense, Nevada has a very, very good offense. They're a top 10 offensive team um, in the country this year, um, scoring um, 83 points a game, um, which is which is a lot. That's sometimes two Texas basketball games, um, <laughs> given, given the opponent. But, uh, uh, I mean... Texas has a great defense. They they have um, Mobamba uh, should be healthy. He says he's 100% healthy, so that's going to help because we've seen Texas guys play really hyper-aggressive, engaged basketball on the defensive end when they know that they have Mobamba behind them. That helps when you have a guy who can who can control the pain. And if he truly is 100%, uh, that's going to be huge, especially because Nevada has not played anyone like him uh, this season. They were very good. They were atop the the Mountain West Conference, but the Mountain West truly just doesn't have players like Mobamba. There, there aren't a ton of players like Mobamba uh, in the country, so um, it's going to be a game changer for them. They haven't seen anything like that. So to me, that's the the opposite ends of the spectrum, and it'll be interesting where uh, kind of the two teams meet in the middle. And you mentioned the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm not much on the you know the second level analytics or whatever, but sometimes I tell you a big story about who a team is. And in this one, so Nevada has not played a team higher than number 50 in Ken Palm's rating since December. Since January 31st, Texas has played 10. So yeah. the level of competition that they're facing uh, heading into the tournament, uh, I think Texas may be a little bit more prepared than Nevada, at least for the big stage. Cause Texas as, as much as, you, you, we can complain and quibble about, you know, the Big 12. It's probably the best basketball conference in, in the country, at least this year. Um, so the fact that Texas has been through a murderer's row of teams that are, you know, high seeds in the tournament and teams that very well could make deep runs. You got a Kansas, you got a Tech, you got a West Virginia. You got a lot of teams that really could make deep runs, and Texas has played and beaten some of them. And even out, out of conference, uh, the Texas fans might have the best, um, analysis into brackets we should have a texas a ut uh, fan win the the bracket challenge this year because with the third hardest strength of schedule in the country they've played a lot of the big hitters they have seen them admittedly early in the year but they're they're out of conference schedule against you know michigan who, who's big 10 champion against uh against duke um against a gonzaga team so you have a lot of tournament teams a lot of potential big hitters uh who texas fans have already seen um and especially you know against that kind of streak in the beginning of the season where they just couldn't seem to close, but they hung with top 10 teams across the board. Um, It has to give you a little bit of hope that Texas has been battle tested. They're going in to this team, but Nevada was a tournament team last year. They return almost that entire team. They're one of the most experienced teams in the tournament. So it'll be really interesting which one of those plays out. If a team that just has seniors, has juniors um, on it, or a team that's seen some real monsters and had to had to go through the fires and, and you know, obviously a pretty unprecedented uh, season of trials and tribulation and showed resilience throughout that. So it'll be this is going to be a fun matchup. It should be a pretty high scoring matchup. This should be a good, good basketball game. I, I uh, implore everyone as always, but especially for this one to, uh, to tune in, uh, get off work early Friday and, and make sure you're, uh, you're ready to watch this one. Absolutely. It's not just the men though, that are going dancing Monday night. The ladies got some good news. They are a two seed in the Kansas city bracket of the women's NCAA tournament after a really phenomenal season. Uh, hats off to the ladies. They tip off Saturday, uh, in the Kansas city bracket. They are facing, uh, Maine 
in the first round. Maine. Uh, what Maine's mascot? Crab cakes. What's what's Maine's mascot? Uh, the lobster roll, I believe. Yeah, lobster roll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're in the same. They're in the same side of the bracket as Mississippi State, who is just a monster. They've only lost one game this year, but I anticipate the ladies making a deep, at least at least a deep ish run into the NCAA tournament. Uh, breaking news. Uh, my friend Google just told me that Maine's uh, mascot, they are the black bears, their mascot is named Bananas T-Bear. <laughs> Bananas T-Bear. That's why I couldn't hold it together. Kyle's face when he saw that Google come up was like the first time, I don't know, a, a little kid getting ice cream for the first time was Kyle's face when, when Bananas T-Bear came up. This is pure joy. Like we need to think about a video podcast option because you can't fake that. That is that is pure joy right there. I love it. All right, so now we've got Wes Scott Eberts back this week joining us. Wes, thanks for taking some more time out to talk some some crouton with us. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, happy to join you guys again. I'm glad that Kyle's back. He he seems to have survived uh, Las Vegas, but. Uh, not quite intact, I guess. Yeah, we'll uh, you know we'll t- we'll debrief on 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 a separate conversation because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, I suppose. Thank you, Gerald. I was gonna I was gonna go ahead and put statute of limitations laws on that, but uh, you got it as a friend. I appreciate that confidentiality, man. Got it. Got to keep it confidential. I uh, know. So we we have Westcott on because we had some big recruiting news this last weekend. So Texas picked up a big commit from five star uh, Jordan Whittington. We actually talked last week how Texas really hadn't been able to hit on the big name receiver, and it seems like maybe we should just talk about every week how Texas is missing on big name people, and we'll get some big commits. So Whittington uh, committed to the Longhorns. He's a uh, five star. He's listed, I guess, as a as a wide receiver, but he played some cornerback in high school as well uh, out of Quero, Texas. So Wes. Um, Give give our listeners just a little bit about what you like about this guy and how he impacts this class moving forward. Yeah, there's a lot to like about Jordan Whittington for sure. Um, he's the number three rated prospect in the class right now. You know, one of those guys who I think will you know remain in very serious contention to be uh, the top the you know the top prospect in the state. Uh, you know, five star guy, Texas. Um, you know, in the last few years since uh, 2013. He would be the the fourth five star prospect uh, that they landed in Malik Jefferson, Caden Stearns, B.J. Foster, and now Jordan Whittington. Uh, he's a guy has pretty good size, about six one. Um, you know, already very well physically developed at, at over two hundred pounds. Just a, a, an extremely electric playmaker with the ball in his hands. You mentioned that you know he takes some wildcat snaps for Quero. Um, very explosive with his uh, short area quickness. Guy ran a great shuttle. I think you know, kind of wonder a little bit about um, his long speed. He, he didn't run a, a great forty time, um, you know. But on film, he's a guy who finds the end zone. And um, you know, one of the things that, that you have to like about him as an evaluator is that you know if things don't work out at, at wide receiver, and you know if something happens with you know all these great defensive backs that Texas has recruited. Um, he's a big time hitter. Uh, there, there's certainly a lot of people out there, you know, who I think justifiably think that, you know, his best long-term position could be defensive back. But, you know, at the same time, for Texas and what the needs are for the Longhorns, he, he fills a really big need at the slot receiver position. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't really have that that typical uh, slot receiver build um, and that, you know, he's much stronger than, than most slot receivers, which, you know, will, will help him break tackles. Um, but, you know, I, I think more than just his ability on the football field, 
you know, Whittington is, is a guy who I think could be very much like Malik Jefferson was for the 2015 class and that he's a guy with a lot of relationships around the state. He's very well respected by his fellow recruits. You know, I've seen him do a little bit of recruiting, um, you know, even in the last couple of days on Twitter and, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a real leader for this Texas class and, you know, helps further arrest some of that recruiting momentum that Texas A&M picked up. Is there uh is there any chance it's been a cool little resurgence you've seen the past couple of years in uh, like your Jabril Peppers and your, your two-way play- players. Is there any chance that uh, this guy on a Tom Herman team could see both sides of the field? I don't know that that's particularly likely, but if, you know, if you want to talk about him contributing in multiple phases, he's a guy, you know, who has uh, multiple kick return and, and punt return touchdowns. Um, so, you know, definitely he'll make an impact on, on special teams that I think, uh, you know, most likely if he doesn't work out a receiver, he'd uh, probably play, you know, full-time at defensive back. You talked about his impact in, in reaching out to the other members of this class. Have you started to hear any rumblings or see any uh, chatter on, on Twitter or wherever uh, of guys now taking this Texas 2019 class a bit more seriously uh, now that Texas has its first kind of bell cow guy? You know, some of the guys that Jordan Weddington has been interacting with are, you know, Kenyon Green, the uh, consensus five-star prospect, number uh, 12 player in the country. I think he's the number two offensive tackle and the, the top player in the state. Uh, he was actually on campus at, at Texas, you know, this weekend. You know, Tom Herman has done a great job and his staff and, you know, his support staff down to Brian Carrington, of course, of, you know, really hitting – you know, all those visits out of the ballpark and making a big impression on guys. Uh, so, you know, Green is a guy that Whittington has interacted with. Um, Eric Young is, is another guy that he's interacted with, you know, cornerback out of Houston. So, you know, those are, are two guys who really come to mind right now. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure as the, uh, as this develops a little bit further, some of those other, you know, fast seven on seven guys will uh, also kind of come into the picture as, you know, potential guys that uh, Whittington could bring into the fold. So you you mentioned Kenyon Green, so let's just move on and, and use that as a segue. He was on campus this last weekend. Um, you know, like you said, five-star, tackle, number one player in the state of Texas. Um, he told the football brainiacs that Texas made a huge jump this weekend. Uh, so what are you hearing? What's what's the What are the rumblings about um, this guy who's at a really big need position for Texas? Yeah, definitely, you know, need position for Texas, I think, you know, kind of every year in the recruiting process, offensive and defensive linemen are a big need. Um, you know, Green is, is another guy who, you know, could have an influence on, on other players in the class. And, you know, he seems more receptive to Texas after this visit. They're definitely in the mix. Um, A&M was, you know, a pretty significant uh, leader there uh, coming into the weekend. And so, you know, just getting Kenyon Green on campus – um, getting him around Herb Hand, who has a great reputation as a as a recruiter, mentioned uh, Carrington earlier. You know some of the uh, shh, you know is coming <laughs> out of uh, Kenyon Green now, so you know it's always good to see that kind of stuff. And um, you know I think Texas has done a really good job just in, in looking at the overall picture of recruiting in this class of getting Green on campus uh, this weekend. Tyler Johnson and Javon Shepard the weekend before. Um, you know, they'll want to get Branson Bragg on campus again, but without having an offensive line commit, I, I think Texas is really well set up to have some success with the key guys in this class moving forward. I mean, we do, uh, we do kind of have an offensive line commit. There was some other big news that broke this week. Um, 
we were talking before the show, and um, what are your thoughts? I know you you looked a little bit at our our latest uh, commit, actually for the twenty eighteen class. Um, Rice's own left tackle is going to come in and fill a position of need. What are your what are your initial thoughts on what he does in the forty acres and what he's going to bring to this team? Yeah, Calvin Anderson is uh, you know true plug and play left tackle. Started thirty six games for Rice. All conference mention was. You know, top 40 offensive tackle in the country by pro football focus got a lot better uh, with his pass protection as a junior, which is really the key area. You know, remember those games with, you know, Elijah Rodriguez just getting beat in the Texas Bowl. I mean, the revolving door, also known as, you know, Tristan Nicholson and and Denzel (laughs) Okafor over there. Um, So, you know, simply just being able to protect uh, the blind side of the quarterback will have a big impact on this team. Also a strong run blocker. I'm hesitant to say that that he might be worth a win or two, but you know he's definitely a guy who will put Texas in a position to win more games next year because they won't have all those issues in pass protection. And so, you know, certainly not the only person with this opinion in uh, the Texas uh, football sphere, but you know he was the most important addition in the 2018 class because he'll have that immediate impact. And, you know, I think one of the other things that, that he really allows is, you know, for Herb Hand, who likes to cross-train his players uh, along the offensive line, you know, to get a look at guys at other positions. You know, now Elijah Rodriguez doesn't have to play left tackle. He could move into guard. He could even push Derek Kerstetter at right tackle. Denzel Logofor can now compete at guard. You know, Mikey Grandy, the, you know, the mid-season Juco enrollee, you know, there's much less pressure on him to to actually be able to play tackle. So, you know, the trickle-down effect that, that Anderson will have on the rest of the Texas offensive line uh, will probably be almost as important as the work that he'll do at left tackle. When you you say that, he may you, you hesitate to say he's worth a win or two, but Texas right now, the two quarterbacks with experience both – do better when they have a little bit more time to make decisions. We've seen that um, Shane Bouchelle very clearly needs a pocket, and, and Sam Ellinger maybe won't flee the pocket as quickly now that he won't have uh, those defenders sniffing at his backside. Yeah, no question about that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Sam Ellinger, and I, I think that he has the best chance of becoming the starting quarterback for Texas this year because of of his leadership capabilities and the jump that he can take as a sophomore. And then that running ability that, you know, Tom Herman clearly likes to rely on in in short yardage situations. But, you know, I think the addition of Anderson could really help Shane Bouchelle because, you know, you've seen from him, you know, in his two years on campus that he's really struggled with his pocket presence. Um, When he can stand in the pocket, uh, his, you know, downfield accuracy is really good. I'm not sure if, you know, Tim Beck and, and Tom Herman's offense will exploit uh, that capability in the same way that Sterling Gilbert's offense did because they were so aggressive and, and just throwing vertical routes all the time. But, um, you know, this addition of Anderson definitely makes me think that Shane Bouchelle uh, has a better chance of, of winning the starting quarterback job because it mitigates, uh, you know, really his most significant deficiency other than you know, the simple fact of whether or not he can stay healthy. So in every facet, everybody gets better when you have a good uh, offensive tackle. And you mentioned uh, Brian Carrington earlier on, and we have to ask about him. He's a he's a favorite of not just everybody on this podcast, but I think anybody that follows recruiting on Twitter. So Texas promoted him 
to uh, the director of recruiting, which is something uh, he said in a uh, in a senior project a few years back at Houston. That was his career goal. So to achieve your career goal so young, uh, that that leaves me a little salty, but we'll be okay with it. So what is <laughs> What, if anything, does naming him the director of recruiting do for this Texas organization looking to build some momentum in 2019? Yeah, I think the number one thing that it does is just ensures that that Carrington, you know, will be around for another year. I I think that, you know, he's a guy who feels some loyalty for, you know, to Tom Herman. Uh, You know, I remember last year when Carrington joined the program, you know, going through his, his LinkedIn profile and, you know, I think he had worked at a nursing home and he'd been a bartender. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, he kind of just, you know, walked into the, you know, the Houston football offices and was like, let me help you guys. Like, what can I do? And, um, you know, Herman gave him a chance. He, he certainly made enough of that at, at Houston to follow Tom Herman to Texas. And, you know, he's really hit it out of the ballpark uh, since he's been at Texas and in developing relationships with the recruits. Uh, with their parents and, and handling the logistics of the recruiting process. And I think it's really invaluable that to have a guy, um, you know, who's, who's young, who's African-American, who, you know, can relate to these kids, who can um, speak their language. And I mean, I, I think overall, you know, even with a guy like uh, Jake Lange, the, the another support staff guy on the offensive line side, it's Polynesian, um, I think just just having a, a representative staff is something that uh, is really beneficial for Texas in recruiting. That's huge. We actually talked about uh, Langing uh, a few weeks back when Texas had the the junior days and all the. Um, we talked about him as I bang the drum with the Polynesian recruits and the Polynesian cultural thing. So I think it's 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 a huge step forward and and. Texas, I think, is going to continue to set the bar and set the standard for what a recruiting organization uh, looks like moving forward. It's definitely a big change from uh, the Mac Brown days. You know, <laughs> I remember him. You know, one of one of uh, the moments when I really broke with the Mac Brown era at Texas was in 2013. Uh, TCU and Texas were the last two schools in the conference to hire a director of player personnel. And uh, Texas hired Patrick Sudas from um, from Alabama. In the press conference, Mac Brown said, uh, "We've been running a mom and pop organization around here, like uh, like that's a joke and something that's acceptable to say when you know the Texas revenues were higher than anyone else in college football." So, uh, you know, Tom Herman, you know, certainly one of the best things that he's done is you know building out that support staff and making sure that he can effectively leverage all of the resources at Texas, which is, uh, you know, something that Mac Brown uh, apparently didn't have an interest in doing really in his last few years on the job. And, um, you know, Charlie Strong was either hamstrung by, you know, Steve Patterson or, you know, also didn't really care about it that much. So uh, I think you can definitely see the, see the impact in, in the recruiting class and, you know, the new locker rooms, uh, the renovated weight room for Texas and, you know, Tom Herman is uh, not leaving any any details unaccounted for. 
Well, I think Charlie Strong is a whole other conversation we can say for an, for another day. Uh, love that guy, but I do think one thing that you see uh, with Carrington, with with Herman, with with this uh, group that's a little bit different from the former is they don't they don't rely just on pedigree. Um, you know, they're coming in, they're building these guys from the ground up, and that's what you see when Tom Herman take guys um, and and let them play above their their star recruit um, where where Mac wanted five stars and let them play as five stars. So I'm actually really excited to see, and you saw it a little bit with that Oliver at at U of H, but to see what, what Tom Herman does with a team full of five-star, four-star recruits of guys who have that pedigree, but also have, you know, that hunger when you get a guy like Herman, who truly came out of nowhere, if you think about where his career started, um, and a Carrington, a guy like you said, who, who came from, you know, nothing and is built into this. So guys who have that hunger, who have that, uh, that passion for it, who are, who are out there getting it every day and instilling that uh, in the team culture and then pairing that with, with the star recruits, I think is how you build uh, a dynastic team that you see at you know in Alabama and some of the uh, the winningest programs in the country. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, wh- you know, one of the interesting things about Tom Herman, especially you know compared to Mac Brown, Mac Brown was uh, very concerned with the recruiting rankings, and I think that he relied on them pretty heavily. Tom Herman is certainly aware of them. Um, you can see with some of his offers that he he's not really that concerned with it and one of the things that the support staff does is that provides the ability to evaluate a lot more players and you know I think you're definitely right Kyle like you can see some of those guys who are you know three-star prospects in the 2017 class who have already come in and contributed I mean Cade Brewer for sure one of those guys uh Daniel Young was a guy that I liked a lot. I think yep. he's going to be the starting running back for Texas this year. You know, has an unusual amount of upside for a player at the position since he was a, a high school linebacker and, and still, you know, really learning how to play running back from you know one of the best in the business and, and Stan Drayton. And so, um, yeah, I think you know the earlier turns uh, with Tom Herman and the staff, you know, are are really that you know they have. Uh, the manpower to evaluate extensively. Um, they're confident in those evaluations. And, you know, at least in, in the limited data set that we have now, you know, those evaluations are, are really starting to hit. And, um, yeah, that's exciting to see what, you know, he'll be able to do once, uh, you know, some of these really highly highly recruited guys get on campus and, and that elite talent, um, you know, continues to flow to Texas. And, you know, this recruiting class – uh, you know, right now the the signs are positive, and, and going against uh, Texas A and M certainly, you know, Oklahoma still a factor, and, and they may uh, get more, you know, uh, 2019 recruits than they did in the 2018 class. But uh, should be fun to watch. Awesome, Wes Scott. Thank you so much for taking some time out. I uh, know I promised you'd be 10 minutes. We're like 20 minutes now, but that's fine. It was good. <laughs> it was good stuff. So we'll just let it rock. Wes, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having man. me on, guys. It's been fun. All right, quickly, we'll recap baseball. Uh, it was kind of a tough weekend for the Horns. They managed to beat number five, Stanford, 8-6 uh, to six on Friday, but then... They just couldn't keep the pitching going over the weekend and lost uh, the next three games. Gave up 27 runs en route to a 3-1 series lead. Uh, Kyle, what what the heck happened? Well, uh, Stanford, again, was a really, really good team. Texas uh, has a juggernaut schedule. I'm really actually happy with, with um, 
Texas AD. I assume this isn't Conti. Maybe this is Perrin. I, maybe Patterson if he did anything good. But uh, Texas basketball, <laughs> as I said, had a great strength of schedule. Um, and this Texas baseball could end up, you know, having a top five strength of schedule. Uh, Ooh la la is no joke. LSU, obviously very good. The Stanford team could be a team playing for a national championship uh, at the end of the year. They faced one of uh, at least the best left-handed pitcher in the country, if not um, the the top or one of the top two or three in the country on the Stanford unit. I mean, they had some some good arms to go up against. They got the bats working some and just, just couldn't others. Uh, it did sadly end uh, Coach Pierce's six-series home unbeaten streak, losing the series three games to one. But, uh, you know, all in all, it was a tough loss, but it was um, a bit of a measuring stick. Texas may not be a national champion just yet, but a lot of time for this team to develop, and uh, they can take uh, some solace that they didn't look out of place and, and had a couple things that could have gone either way in this uh, one really big bad runners interference um, that, that broke a game open uh, with bases loaded we won't get into but uh, you know this 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 isn't for me a devastating loss but I would have loved to see him at least get a 2-2 get a get a draw on it and now it's time for the show where we honor everybody's favorite tradition on the 40 acres I say everybody's favorite tradition because it should be big Bertha and we bang the drum so Kyle what are you banging the drum on this week a quick point of clarification as a member of the esteemed Texas Cowboys, of course, firing Smokey the Cannon is the number one tradition on the 40 acres. Bang the drum being a close second. Um, so my bang the drum this week is um, going into the NCAA tournament. We're not going to touch on that Big 12 tournament. We're in a much bigger one now. That doesn't matter. Forget Kansas. They win everything. Um, Texas only really has eh, maybe seven guys. Um, and that's being generous. Um, uh, I mean... Obviously, we know the situation with Eric Davis and being suspended and Texas kind of taking a proactive approach on that. Um, and, of course, Andrew Jones with, with his health situation. Um, so we know why there aren't more guys, um, and that's not a shock of smart thing, but it is just a fact uh, of what he has going for him. And, and the, the, the positive note to balance that out just a little bit uh, is that Mo Bamba is, is publicly saying that he is 100%. So he's, of course, one of our guys, and we should really cherish this because I, I have a good feeling that if he's – as he is projected to be the number three uh, right now on on Jay Billis's board, I believe in the draft, um, he probably won't be on the Forty Acres next year. Uh, also, Dillano, of course, um, who we need the Dillano who had twenty against ISU to show up. That's the Dillano we need. The Dillano who can at least be serviceable on the defense, and he does play better when Bomba is next to him, um, but can be hitting threes and, and, and carrying the offense when they need it. Um, we need the Jericho Sims to show up. Um, who had 15 rebounds um, and, and you know, looked to be a breakout player in Bomba's a- absence, if they can really work that together, the guy's got one of the best springs in a step in the country. I mean, he's actually a really good perimeter defender. They could really play a big unit with the three of them that could just destroy Nevada because Nevada, I don't think, has a player on the roster bigger than 6'7". So look for potentially a Bomba uh, Osikowski-Sims lineup in the, uh, the Texas front court, which could be brutal because, as we've said all year, if Texas controls the boards, they control the game game um they also are going to of course have a couple guards at their disposal coleman who the 20 against tech um were, were a great great sign um and uh and then of course uh, i'm gonna skip one and go to jacob young who 29 points against tech he needs to be playing a lot um he i Get don't those think threes family I don't think he has ever been scared of anything. Like if I was ever in a dark alley, Jacob Young just made my list, not because he's the biggest guy, but because he's literally the most fearless human being who's ever lived. There's no situation big enough uh, to make that man's knees quiver. Um, and Kerwin Roach, I mean, he's got something to prove. He, I hope he's playing with as much a, a chip on his shoulder as he has in his tooth. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, that's good. You know it's good. But, uh, you know, he, he at the beginning of the season was a guy who people were saying he's going to um, work on his defense and, and he's going to come out and be a two-way player and he's going to be, a you know, an NBA player this year. I think he needs to come back one more year. But uh, I think regardless, he needs to – he owes it to this team to come out and be a uh, heart and soul and, and put it all out there. And, again, the guy got his tooth knocked out and came back. He, he certainly is, uh, is playing tough. But, um, you know, I'd like to see that translate to a little more – uh, a little more success and more conversion on the offensive end. And then you get to the, the you know, well, what are they going to do, guys? And, and that's, to me, James Banks and, and Febres. And Febres had 12 against ISU and then had almost a club trillion with zero 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 and two assists um, against Tech um, as a ghost. So if Shaka Smart can't trust either of those guys, you may see a five- or six-man rotation in the NCAA tournament, which is nuts. They may get eight to ten minutes each tops, and that's just – that's going to put a lot of pressure on those guys I just kind of talked about before, those six. So, um, you know, it'll be really interesting, and I think that's going to be a huge, huge factor uh, that goes through uh, Texas in this NCAA tournament run. The crazy thing about Febris, though, is that early in the season, he looked like he may have been the guy, and then I don't know what happened in conference play or something, but that guy had a had a precipitous fall off. Yeah, and and here's can I just give you my dream scenario? Can I can I do yeah. that a little bit here? All right, so I'm going to be an optimist. So let's say Fred Brist gets some playing time, hits his threes, he can be a gunner off the bench. Jacob Young keeps his hot streak going, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everyone's playing well. So of course, what that translates to is Texas beating Nevada, no doubt. That's a no brainer. Um, so then they get Cincinnati, who may be the best two seed draw. And I know Cincinnati looked good, and that's not to belittle them, but North Carolina, Purdue, and Duke are the other two seeds, and they each of them have a strong argument to be a one seed. Um, so. So we may have got the good end of that deal. And Cincinnati also is not great on the offensive end. So say they do that, say they get an upset on the number two seed in Cincinnati. Who are they seeing on the sweet 16? Well, my guess is it's going to be the number three seed in the South bracket. The other UT, uh, the Tennessee volunteers coached by the other Texas basketball coach, Rick Barnes. Um, so now you have Shaka smart against Rick Barnes in a dream matchup. I'm just saying, Let's see Shaka Smart say, I am the Texas basketball coach. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. Um, and take over the boat <laughs> all the way to the Elite Eight where they match up with you know someone from the top end of that bracket, whether it's Virginia, Kentucky, Arizona, um, or, or a surprise team out of there. So, um, you know, dream scenario looks good for Texas. Let's let's hope that dream works out. Or I just need, I need to pick up one win, get some get some experience for these younger guys. How it feels to win, and and you know what? If they make a deep run, then then the more power to them. It's it's they're not expected to, which it always feels good to do that. So my bang the drum uh, this week is that the University of Texas was named the best college for sports fans by uh, USA Today and Ten Best Readers Choice Awards. Uh, which is kind of a online voting situation. Uh, so yeah, so after a few weeks of fan voting, University of Texas came out on top, which is moderately surprising because uh, most fans of Texas sports don't actually show up to live Texas events. <laughs> um, the student section sometimes at football games is woefully underserved. Uh, there's a reason why they don't give you wide shots of the Frank Irwin Center currently. Um 
And you know what? I think maybe baseball per capita might be the best attended uh, based upon the number of people you can get into it and the number of uh, seats in the stadium. Maybe volleyball because Gregory, like students don't have to go very far to go to volleyball games and the volleyball team is really good. Uh, but I, I didn't vote in this, but I would have. And I'm, I'm super spoiled. I got to be on campus. Uh, I started with a baseball national championship, got two Vince Young Rose Bowls, which went right into Colt McCoy. Uh, so I, I was there for some of the best years and had some of the best experiences of my life going to live sporting events, getting to see um, you know players like Destiny Hooker playing in in the uh, volleyball team, getting guys to see play guys, seeing getting see getting to see guys like Kevin Durant play basketball, seeing the other Clemens boys because I feel like there's been a Clemens at at Texas for, I don't know, at least 15 years now. So getting to see all of those people, um, you know, uh, Kat Osterman in softball, Tally Thrasher, who's a name that doesn't get said enough, but is possibly one of the greatest hitters in Texas softball history. Um, those types of, I, I was there for the golden year, so I get why people are excited, but I will say like fans, if you're going to vote for this, or if you're going to have huge expectations for basketball, if you're going to have huge expectations for football, show up to the games and cheer yes, and let Texas have an actual home field advantage because we've got the best facilities. I believe we've got the best coaches. I believe we are now in a position where we're getting the best talent. So now we as fans need to show up and show out and support these players or we do not deserve to have them. And I'm just going to put it plainly. So I'm banging the drum on Texas is the best college for sports fans, but let's go out there and act like we enjoy having the best college for sports fans. And so that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening in again. And if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps a ton. Share it with your friends, share it with the coworkers. Uh, you can find it anywhere where you see podcasts except for Spotify because Spotify still won't return my emails. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Well, considering I have a little bit of stomach issues, you will not find me in Fuddruckers this week, but Fuddruckers is still uh, a great, great hamburger. But um, you can find me on Twitter at <laughs> www.twitter.com slash Kyle Carpenter. Uh, you can find me on uh, the various social medias at the same. Uh, give me that follow and you'll, you'll get gold in return. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH. Go to trial the show on Twitter, Longhorn Pod, and shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. If you're into nerd news, comic book movie news, stuff like that, uh, you can check me out on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. We record that on Tuesday nights. We have a good time with my, uh, with the, what is it, the number three most accurate fantasy football writer in the nation. Raymond Summerlin is my co host on that. So if you're into fantasy football and you want to hear other stuff from him, check us out. Um, and we will see you next week. And until next time, Hook up. Hook up.